Next Sunday, the 22nd, following the service, we are actually having a very special congregational vote to call me as your next associate pastor here at Grace. So, I have not gotten the chance to say this yet, but it is really, really an honor um, to be considered for this role. Uh, as many of you know, it has been a very long long journey, and I haven't gotten to say this much, but I really do mean this. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you for the support you have shown me as I have um, definitely learned to cut my teeth here, as I have made so many, so many mistakes, as I have just been a blatant idiot many times in the things that I have said and the things that I have done. I thank you for the encouragement, though, along the way. I thank you for those of you who, even at the door or on the patio, have just said, keep going, or whatever it is, and the other times where you've corrected me and sat me down and set me straight, I am very grateful for that. Um, very grateful. I get that to be a pastor uh, is a huge honor. I get it, and I also understand that it's a big responsibility. I understand that when you ask someone to be your pastor, you are asking them to speak into your life. You are asking them to lead you. You are asking them to encourage you, to challenge you, and you are inviting them to sit with you in the lows and walk with you through the highs. I get that when you ask me to be your pastor next week, that you are going to hand me spiritual authority in your life. And some of you are thinking, wait, what? <laughs> what did that guy say? Spirit's authority. I thought this was just some cool title we were giving this kid. Surprise! No, to be a pastor is a very significant thing. Very significant. You are entrusting me to help you understand who God is. You are entrusting me to instruct you in how we are to figure out what it looks like to live as Christians, you're helping me or you're inviting me into those spaces, into those dark spaces, those spaces that you don't want somebody to go and you're saying, please, please help me. That's a big deal. It's a very significant thing to call a pastor and something that we need to learn to take very seriously, very seriously. And so it's very timely then that we're going to be reading our passage today. In our passage, Jesus is going to do two things. Two things. The first is he's going to help us discern between who is a good leader and who is a bad leader. Who we should hand spiritual authority over to, who we should allow to speak into our lives, and who we need to run as far away from as possible. Okay? We're going to get a good understanding of who is good and who is bad. And the second thing we're going to see in this passage, which will be the bulk of it, is... In helping us discern between good and bad leaders, Jesus is going to help us to truly understand what it means to know him. What it means to have an intimate relationship with him. And what we're going to see is those who have an intimate relationship with Jesus, those who truly know him, their lives, their character, and their message reflect him. Our lives are transformed by him. We're going to feel, figure it out very quickly that the more we hang out with him, the more we look like him. 
So the way Jesus does this is he uses an analogy of a tree, okay? And he says, hey, we're all trees, okay? And the way you tell a good tree from a bad tree is by its fruit. Good trees bear good fruit, bad trees, bad fruit. Very simple, right? I mean, this is the beauty of Jesus. This guy knows how to make something so profound, so simple. Good trees, good fruit. But then he's going to try and help us to understand, well, what is fruit? What is good fruit? And I think we're going to be surprised as we look at it, what we would normally think of as good fruit, you know, saying Jesus is Lord, or saying, or doing incredible things like healing and casting out demons and prophesying, Jesus is going to go, that's not good fruit. In fact, that's meaningless. And we're going to learn to understand that what true fruit is, what is really, what Jesus is truly seeking is lives that reflect him and lives that reflect him truly know him. So that's what we're going to read today. We are in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7. We're looking at verses 15 to 23. It is on page 679 of your pew Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23, 15 to 23, we're going to see again. He's going to warn us about good people, bad people, people we should listen to and people we need to run away from. He's going to say they're out there. And then he's going to give us a test to figure out who are the good and who are the bad. All right? Matthew 15, or 7, 15 says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and is going to be thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out many demons? And in your name, did we not perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. So verse 15, like I said, it starts out talking about false prophets, false teachers, false leaders. It says this, watch out for false prophets. Pseudo-prophets is the word there. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Anybody remember that old adage, walks like a duck, talks like a duck? It is a duck, right? When I was reading this, I think Jesus is saying, that is stupid thinking, okay? That is stupid thinking because what he gets at here is there are Christians among us. There are false teachers, false leaders, false pastors among us that look Christian, that look great on the outside. They sound Christian. They do Christianly things, but they're not Christian. They don't actually know Jesus, and in fact, he goes so far as to not just say they just don't know him. He calls them sheep, wolves in sheep's clothing. He calls them enemies, right? Wolves and sheep don't get along. 
As far as I know, I've never actually seen a wolf and a sheep together. So I'm assuming they don't get along. But he calls them the enemies. He calls them those who seek to do harm, right? Destroyers of faith. And he says, this isn't like a random thing. This isn't just the occasional guy out there. The fact that he mentions this and the fact that every other New Testament writer mentions the same thing tells us there are a lot of these people out there and therefore we need to be vigilant. We need to be aware of the fact that there are people out there that look Christian, that sound Christian, but are not Christian, that are instead seeking to do us harm. And we need to be aware of it so we can run away from them. We don't want to submit to them. We don't want them to influence us in any way. So we run. And then he's going to tell us, but this is how you tell a good person from a bad person. Very simple. Look at their fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. But what are we talking fruit here? Apples, pomegranates, bananas. Love pomegranates. Anybody else a pomegranate fan? Good. The seven of us really need to get a party. Um, I love those things. But of course, that's not the fruit that Jesus is talking about, right? The fruit, anytime the Bible is really going to mention fruit and obviously not the obvious like, oh, there's a bushel of fruit there. It's talking about that which is produced. That's what the word Bible or the word fruit means. That which is produced. That what we make, what flows out of us, what comes out of us. And so in a very simple human level, right, the fruits of our labor have to do with who we are or what we end up doing or what we end up saying. It has to do with our character and our message, but the key here is this, character is not something you can force to happen. Character is not something you could force to be a person of good character. Sure, you can have good characteristic attributes, right? But in truth, you're either a good person or you're not a good person. It will flow out of you and it'll be revealed over time. I can look good on the outside for a little while, but the more you get to know me, the more you're gonna start to see my flaws the more you're going to start to see my actual cracks. I look great. And then you come inside and you're like, oh gosh. But it's in those spaces, it's in those spaces where Jesus works and it's in those spaces where when we come closer to Jesus and we look more and more like Jesus, it doesn't matter what's on the outside. It'll just start to kind of ooze out of us and our character and our message will eventually begin to change and look more and more like him. And that's what he's getting at in verses 21 to 23. Look what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons? And in your name did we not perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. He will look them square in the face. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Look, I'm just going to confess here. These verses used to freak me out. Am I alone in this or does everybody else see this? Yeah. You read these verses. You read these verses and you're kind of like, what do you mean? That on the last day, there's going to be people that go to Peter's shining gates or however they say. And they're going to be standing there before Jesus. And they're going to say, Jesus, I, I proclaimed your name. I called on you. And Jesus, I did incredible things for your kingdom. 
I, I prophesied. I cast out demons. I did many miracles. I drove huge crowds to church. I gave tons of money to the poor. I did amazing things. And he's still going to look at them and go, I never knew you. If those guys aren't in, who am I? How could I ever get in? I don't do cool stuff, guys. The more you get to know me, the more you're going to see, I am a really boring, simple, like plain old guy. I'm normal. I'm normal. These guys are incredible. They're probably our mega church leaders today, right? Like they're doing things that on the outside, you look and you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible, the ministry they have. And yet at the end, he's still going to go, yeah, but I never knew you. And I'm not saying that about every mega church leader. Not at all. Not at all. But if these guys are doing incredible ministry, who are we? The answer lies in the verse, though. It has to do with that word, no. I never knew you. The key here is this. The Christian life is never defined by what we do. The Christian life is never defined by what we do. It's always about who you know. Of course, these guys were able to do incredible ministry in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name has power. We see this all throughout Scripture, and we see this all throughout history. When you say something in Jesus' name, there is authority in that name. You can claim things in that name. So, of course, they were able to cast out demons. Of course, they were able to prophesy. Of course, they were able to perform miracles. The name of Jesus has power and authority. It's not like it's a trinket, but you're invoking the king. These people, they knew the name of Jesus, but they didn't know the man. They knew his name. They knew he was a king, but they didn't submit to him. These people knew about Jesus, but they never allowed him to get to know them. They never invited Jesus into their lives. They never did. And obviously, this is the exact opposite of what Jesus wanted all along, right? Jesus doesn't want disciples he doesn't know. Jesus wants disciples he can know, and he wants disciples he can be Lord over. He wants disciples in whose lives he can enter and make a difference. Jesus isn't seeking to be your Lord because he's got some ego trip that he's got to fix here. Okay? Instead, what you need to understand is the reason Jesus wants to come in and be Lord of your life is because you have had a long enough time being Lord of your own life, and look at where it gets us. Look at where it gets us. It gets us to frustration. It gets us to burnout. It gets us to exhaustion. It gets us to guilt. It gets us to shame. It gets us to those times when we sin and we know it's wrong, but we try and brush it off. Jesus looks at that and goes, no, that was never who you were supposed to be. No, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus proclaims. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is light and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verses are hard to memorize, okay? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, let me come into your life. Let me take that baggage off of you 
and let me replace it with my freedom. Let me replace it with life. Let me replace it with who you were truly supposed to be. And so he takes this, in this joyous exchange, Jesus takes our sin upon him and in turn gives us his amazing life. He takes that baggage and he nails it to the cross. He does away with it. He says, it is finished. And then he says, live. Live. This is who you were created to be. Stop being burdened. Live. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. These guys, they didn't know Jesus. They knew about him. But he wasn't their Lord. It's like the same way as me saying, I acknowledge that the Queen of England is a queen. Okay? But she's not my queen. Right? I'm sure she's a lovely lady. I'm sure she's very sweet. She looks like fantastic as she walks down the street in her like yellow suits and stuff. Um, lovely lady. But she's not my queen. The Queen of England doesn't speak into my life. The Queen of England doesn't influence me in any way, shape, or form, right? When she speaks, I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind of nice, but so what? She's not my queen. Now, if she was my queen, when she speaks, I would listen. I would allow her to influence me. When she says, we're going to do this, I'm like, all right, that's what we're going to do. Because those who know the king, those who know the Lord, don't simply go, yeah, Jesus is a king. They recognize Jesus as their own king. These guys recognize the Lord, but not as their Lord. That's the problem with these guys in the verse. It's not about what they do, because being a Christian is never defined by what you do. It's about who you know. But let's get practical, though. So I think we understand the theory. I think we understand the idea, the concept here that it's not about, you know, knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. And we need to recognize that when we know Jesus, our character and our message become his character and his message. They flow out of us because the more you spend time with him, the more you look like him, you sound like him, you are like him. So what does that look like, though, practically? Practically speaking, what can we identify as this is Jesus, this is not Jesus? Well, let me give you a random example, and I'm telling you right now, some of you are going to hate me for this example. Hate me for it, okay? But we need to get this out there. I will say, some of you, you're going to think this is heresy, but it's important, okay? Listen to me. I, John Alexanian, can't stand baseball. Can't stand it. Hate it. You know what, Wigmans? Take that, all right? Had to get out there. I'm not a baseball fan. I do not spend money on baseball. I do not watch the games at home. I have never called. I have never, ever in my lifetime had somebody say, hey, you want to hang out tonight? And responded, oh, the game's on. I can't do it tonight. Never. That would never happen with me. I am not a baseball fan. I go to baseball games with the exact same amount of enthusiasm with which I go to a one-year-old's birthday party, okay? I go because the people that invited me are very nice and I like to be with them, but the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking, why am I here? What else could I be doing? That's how I feel about baseball. Clearly, I am not a fan. I am not, my life does not reflect a baseball fanatic. And then there are the weirdos in this room. Those of you who, for whatever reason, love this game, 
You love it, right? You spend money on the hats and the, the, the jerseys and because you believe in the mission of your team. Even if your team is terrible this year, you know that the next year is the best and it's going to be good for you and you're going to win the pennant series. That's the right words, right? Yeah, it is. Others of you, you, you absolutely watch the games as often as possible. I love this, and I just discovered this was a thing this year. There is a baseball channel 24-7. It's like purgatory. 24-7 baseball. And when a game is not on, they're talking about it. These are baseball people, right? Their whole lives revolve around this. They are the people that say, oh, I can't go out tonight, the game's on. Or they are the people who have their phones that ding every time their team scores a run. I'm not going to name names here, but there's definitely somebody in this room who does that, and I love her for it. Right? These are baseball fans. Their whole lives reflect baseball. And if you ever get them talking about baseball, right? So not only do their lives reflect that of a person who loves baseball, but the way they talk about baseball is with such joy. Like, I bash it and I joke about it, but the point is, I know people love baseball, and I think that's fantastic. I think it's fantastic that you love baseball, because I think it's so cool to watch people light up when they talk about something as boring as baseball. It's incredible to me. The statistics, right? When people who love baseball talk about the game, those little statistics on the board that I have no idea what they mean, they matter to those people. And for them, one of the best games is when nobody scores and you're like, oh my gosh, come on. But that's because that's a good game and they love it and they're thinking, what's the coach going through? How are we going to set up the order? And They love it. And when you talk baseball with them, it comes alive. These players are real people, right? And they have real lives and their decisions influence their life and they wrap their world around this. What they talk about and what they do clearly reflect they are baseball fans. There's no denying it. No denying it. When we talk about what a Christian looks like, what a person who truly knows Jesus looks like, we have two things similar to the baseball fan. Character and message. Their character reflects the character of Christ. They do the things Jesus did. Okay? They do the things Jesus did. And what are the things that Jesus did? He says it in the verse... In verse 21, the will of my Father. They do the will of my Father. Well, what is the will of the Father? That's a good question. When we look at the context, though, of this verse, it is clearly put in a sermon, right? A three-chapter sermon, and this is the end, meaning those first two chapters clearly lay out, well, what is, what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is very simple, very simple, is the more we hang out with Jesus, the more we, we do the things that Jesus does, the more our love for Scripture starts to grow. This isn't something you can force, honestly. You can try and read Scripture all you want, but it, it's not really going to grow an affinity in you. Only the Spirit can really do that. And so we just have to pray, God, help me to like this book sometimes. Because it is hard. It is hard. But other things that we see in terms of when we, we start to enjoy the scriptures, we also start to see that the gospel and the, the law has power in our lives. 
that they matter, that we need to listen to them. And so when we read passages about sexual fidelity or marital fidelity and sexual purity, we go, oh, those aren't things we just throw aside. No, we realize those are important. Those are important. And the same thing goes for loving our neighbors and caring for our enemies. Those are important things because that's what Jesus did. And the more we hang out with Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. Now, I want to be clear on this too. I'm not saying that Christians do this perfectly. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, just hang out with me and you're going to clearly see I have flaws. I don't do things perfectly like Jesus did and I don't think Jesus ever called us to be perfect here. I know it says be perfect as you are perfect at the end of Matthew 5 and I think there's a lot of conversations we can have about that passage. I don't believe I'm ever going to attain perfection this side of heaven. I don't. We live in this weird state of I'm a sinner and a saint. This weird state of I'm saved and yet at the same time I'm still broken and have fleshly desires. It's a weird thing and I don't think I can ever fully be perfect. But I think what we understand as Christians is this, just like fruit grows over time and just like fruit is not something you force to happen, the more we hang out with Jesus, the more our character is going to reflect his character. It's not something you force. It's just going to slowly happen. And so you look back at your life and go, oh yeah, you know what? I actually do have slightly more patience now. And you realize you couldn't develop that skill. Even if you put yourself in the worst situations, you can't develop your patience. That is Jesus in you. That is the Spirit at work in you. We, by submitting to Jesus, do those things. But here's the other thing. So that's our character. Our message is also clear. When we hang out with Jesus, we look like Jesus and we sound like Jesus. A person who has good fruit is going to recognize that Jesus and only Jesus leads us to the Father. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus some other God out there. It's not Jesus plus whatever. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And then they're also going to realize that sin matters. A person who truly knows Jesus knows that sin matters. They don't brush it under the rug. They don't pretend it doesn't exist. They don't ever talk about it. Or they, they talk about it. They don't go, oh yeah, everybody's perfect, we're good, we're not going to talk about sin. No! The, way we under, the reason we talk about sin is not because we like to beat each other over the head and go, you, terrible. No. But because when I realize how sinful I am, when I realize how in need of, of Jesus I am, I appreciate this meal and this cross so much more. Sin matters. But so do the commandments. Jesus tells us to act. And if we are his people, if he is our king, and we go, yeah, whatever, Jesus, I'm going to do whatever I want, come on, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And so as brothers and sisters, we encourage each other with the scriptures. We prod each other along, not because we're seeking guilt, but because the king has spoken. And when we realize that what the king says really enables us to live, how could we not want to encourage each other to keep the commandments? I think all, the most basic, the most fundamental thing of all is grace. People who know Jesus know they have not, they don't have a single leg to stand on before him. I don't go to Jesus and go, I'm a great person. You should accept me into your kingdom. I go to Jesus and I go, I got nothing. 
I got nothing. I fall on my knees and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I am empty-handed. I, I come hat in hand. Please help me. Only, only when I do that, only when I do that am I able to understand grace. And because I experience grace, I can talk about the grace that God has for you. When you talk with me about stuff and you're like, oh, you know, I'm not going to churches regularly or I'm doing this, that, or the other thing, I'm not going to go, well, shame on you. How dare you? No. Because I don't have a leg to stand on. I'm going to tell you about the grace of Jesus Christ because it's what I've experienced. And a person who knows Jesus knows the grace of Christ. And so we see in this passage that, again, when we apply these to Jesus' original point, when we apply these markers of how do you know a person knows Jesus, when we apply them, we begin to recognize it's very simple how to discern between wolves in sheep clothing and true people. You have to look at whether they truly know Jesus. They truly know Jesus. And it's reflected in their character and it's reflected in their message. Things they can't force to happen. I mean, I guess they can for a little while, but it'll crumble in the end the more you talk to them. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize, applying Jesus' template, that there are wolves in sheep's clothing out there. There are people on the radio, there are people with books out there, there are podcasts, there are articles on the internet that we read and they are written by wolves in sheep's clothing. They may look okay on the outside, but they're insidious. They are seeking to destroy us. Subtly, not necessarily in an overt way, but they will supplant weird thoughts in our heads that'll make us feel more guilty, that'll drive us away from the cross Things that'll make us feel like, oh, sin doesn't matter. We don't need to talk about that anymore. That is, that is wrong. Wrong. And some of these pastors, they look so good on the outside, guys. They look so good. Of course they did. Every great heretic looks fantastic. Even Satan clothes himself as an angel of light. Right? Of course you're not going to be attracted to some, like, terrible-looking person that, like, slaps people as they walk into the room. That's not the guy you're going to be attracted to. You're going to be attracted to the nice guy. A lot of these pastors look great. You've got to listen to their message. Do they proclaim the gospel or are they teaching something else? And if they're teaching something else, you need to run. Now, as for me, again, you guys are going to be voting on whether or not you want me to be your next associate pastor here. Associate pastor is, you know, assistant pastor, if you will. It's still the role of pastor. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because like I said in the beginning, if you're going to call me to be your associate pastor, you're calling me to have spiritual authority in your life. You're inviting me to speak, to challenge, to encourage, and to sit with you in the highs and the lows. That's a very big responsibility that I take very serious. And it's one that I hope you do. The denomination has affirmed that my message is sound, but you have to affirm my character. You have to. And what I mean by the denomination affirm my message is the way the process works is I have to finish grad school. I had to finish a, a long degree. And then I had to fly back and meet with both the bishop, 
who we met for a couple hours individually and had a fun theological debate. I love doing that stuff. And then I was grilled by a number of denominational leaders to make sure that I'm not a blatant heretic in my message. Doctrinally, I am sound. Doctrinally, I am sound. But you have, according to them, I could still be a weirdo. You have to test my character. You have to. And if you see in me, for whatever reason, that I am not becoming more and more like Jesus, then please, I beg you, I'm not trying to win points. I'm not trying to, to smooth you at all. Please vote no. If you do not believe I have a character that is growing to reflect Christ, by all means vote no. And I mean by all means. That means if you think for whatever reason you see some red flags in my life, will you please talk to one of our elders? On the back of the bulletin, you can email them. Talk to Pastor Chris. Tell me. Confront me. Say, hey, what about this? I will answer for it. I need to. If you're going to hold me to a high standard, hold me to a high standard. And next week, if I still don't meet your criteria, please, please vote no. Please. But if you vote yes, know this. I take that role very seriously. And I will take it as an invitation to have spiritual authority in your life. Not because I'm looking to dominate by any means. I take it as a role for you to say, please come in and speak. Please come in and influence. Please come in and share. Please, when those things go wrong in my life, please sit with me. That's how I will do it. I will take it seriously but I hope that you take it seriously too. Above all, above all, there are people out there that we need to be careful of. There are people we need to be careful of, but also, brothers and sisters, we just need to seek to daily follow Christ. We need to daily seek to submit to him as king. We need to trust him. Don't just acknowledge him as king, submit to him as king. And secondly, Jesus says what that looks like is daily picking up our cross and following him. Recognizing that I am no longer the Lord of my life, but that he is the Lord of my life. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that it gives us, God. The fact that we don't have to worry about what we do that being a Christian is never defined by our actions or never defined by what we create, but it's solely about a reflection of you or it's about knowing you. God, we recognize that we can't force it to happen. We recognize that we, by our own efforts, can never make us look more holy, can never be more like you just by trying hard. It only comes by spending time with you. By being with you, we become like you. By your spirit, by your grace, you pour into our lives and you restore us. You give us the life that you intended us to live. And Lord, I confess that I continually fight against that process. I jump into sins. I have my struggles. I'm not willing to submit every area of my life over to you. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to trust wholly, but I recognize I'm not fully trusting. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in the similar place. Lord, that today you would give them an assurance, Lord, that they wouldn't have to fear these verses any longer. 
but that these verses, that they would hear your word and they would say, you will never look at them and you will say, I never knew you because they will know you, Lord. They know you as Lord, that they have invited you into their life as Lord, that they have received your yoke, Lord, that they have submitted to you. And however they do that, that they continue to lay themselves before you and ask you to speak Confess, God, that by our own power we can never be made right in your eyes, but it is only by what your Son did for us in this joyous exchange that took place on the cross. Lord, I pray that as we sing these songs of worship, Lord, that they would be a reflection, an outflowing of our response to this word, that we would just, we couldn't help but contain ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that our gifts, our tithes, our offerings would simply be another reflection of that, our trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would bless these offerings as they come forward, that they would be used in your kingdom to do incredible, amazing things. And I ask this all in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen. Amen.